are listening to Vantage Point Podcast, dedicated to giving godly perspective to everyday living. Let's get into this week's episode. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to Vantage Point Podcast. I'm Nick Ruffin, your host, and I'm so glad you're with us this week. I hope you've enjoyed this series we're currently in, and I just encourage you to go back and listen to the first two episodes, and we really started looking at some facts about Jesus. We kicked off this series in part one, laying the foundation of who he is based on concrete evidence through scripture. Last week, we looked at the words of um, from Jesus himself that stirred real uh, controversy and really set in motion the questions about who he is. And so this week, uh, I want to go a little bit further in this journey into who Jesus is, and I really believe we're... Um, reaching a critical point in in answering this question, right? We're gathering information. We continue to peel back these layers into who Jesus really is. And I truly believe God is setting the stage uh, that's going to ultimately lead to making decisions on how do you want to know Jesus? How deep do you want to go in this relationship? And for many of us, you know, we have knowledge of Jesus and you know, like any relationship, though, we have to make a decision to go deeper um, as we begin to uncover truth that will really make or break the relationship. And so going deeper with Jesus means you're going to uh, pass that point. It means going past that point of salvation. Uh, I heard it said this way uh, by Pastor Mike Todd at Transformation Church. He said salvation should be the lowest point in your relationship with Christ. And and don't get confused. Salvation is a huge, big decision, crucial uh, decision of our existence as human beings when we're getting connected with God. It is that moment we decide that, we you know what, we can't do this life without Jesus. It, it's a moment when we choose life over death. We choose eternal life over death. And, and that salvation decision is literally your hello uh, to Jesus. It, it's literally that name tag that says, hi, my name is. Uh, and if you think about, uh, you know, if you uh, met someone, right, whether your spouse or a friend, right, it always it all began by saying hi, right? Um, and, and they said hi back and they said their name. Um, but think about it. Did you stop there, right? No, you know, this is the internal struggle where most people uh, that come to Jesus, right, they stop at hello uh, and don't dig deeper into the relationship. They they want to, you know, to go deeper in Jesus is to go beyond him being your savior and him becoming your Lord. And I really encourage um, as we continue this series that I really hope it, it serves as a deeper introduction into who Jesus is. And I encourage you don't stop at the ticket booth, right? Don't stop at that salvation ticket that's going to get you eternal life and and and, and um, life after death in heaven. Like, don't stop there. Like, take that journey of relationship building and getting to know him. And I said earlier, you know, we spent last week talking about the words of Jesus. And, and really, the next two weeks, we're going to talk about the actions of Jesus. And we're going to look at those actions through miracles. Uh, and, and that was one way that during his ministry, Jesus really showed um, his words was through miracles, right? And these miracles reinforced those words. And, and and it showed people then and even us now of, of who he was and who he truly is and and the fact that he said who he is we can look at these miracles as confirmation of who he is right and, and just like with his words um these actions had mixed reactions right people some people couldn't get past their limited thoughts we talked about that last week and they still couldn't fully 
envision him as this son of God and, and still a, a man on earth uh, with with that duality uh, of his existence, right? And, and the the miracles uh, they didn't just stem from just him, but through his father, right? It wasn't just him doing it; he was doing it through his father, right? And even other people were in awe, and his following increased with each of these miracles. Um, and, and I like this quote I found by Timothy Keller. It says, "Jesus's miracles." are not just a challenge to our minds, but a promise to our hearts that the world we want is coming. And really the miracles of Jesus demonstrate his absolute authority and power over death, uh, devil, the sickness, um, and nature, right? And thereby really confirming all that he is um, and that the fact that he is the Messiah and the Son of God and, and these signs and, and wonders really testify to his limitless compassion for people and, and, and really him, his desire and his heart and the, really the burden of his heart to see people set free from those types of bondage. And we even see that in all four of the Gospels, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there are actually 37 recorded miracles that Jesus performed. Now, this number really is small in comparison to all that he did that, and, and even that were recorded because we know this because even at the end of uh, John, chapter 21, verse 25, it says there are so many other things Jesus did. If they were all written down, each of them one by one, I can't imagine a world big enough to hold such a library of books. In other words, these 37 are, are really a microcosm into all of the things that Jesus did in his ministry, right? And when we start to look at these miracles, there's seven reasons why, several reasons, excuse me, why um, he performed miracles. The first one is literally miracles demonstrate and prove that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, which reinforces the idea that we should believe in him. Uh, John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31 says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Secondly, Jesus, uh, his miracles also gave confirmation of his message about the kingdom of God. Acts 14 and 3 uh, really references this purpose and light uh, when you look at the ministry of Paul and, and even with Barnabas. And so it says, so Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there speaking boldly for the Lord, who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to perform signs and wonders. And then third, the signs and wonders of Jesus testify to his limitless compassion for people and his longing. Again, we said this earlier, to see people set free. And, and Matthew 14 and 14 says, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and heal their sick. And so we're going to spend, like I said, the next two weeks and we're going to unpack some of these miracles. And, and I really want you to open, open your minds, open your heart and really take into account everything we've come up to leading to this point, right? We, we set the foundation on, um, for the record in week one, and then week two, we're going to, we built the framework of his words. And now we're going to take that framework and that foundation. And we're going to start to build this house and, and really understand and really answer this question. Who Jesus is. And so for this week, week three is going to be miracles in action part one. And really that leads me to my first uh, point, which is action over the storm. And Mark chapter four, uh, verse 35 through 41 says that day when evening came, 
he said to the disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat and they were nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, asleep on a cushion. The disciples woke him up and said, teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the winds, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to the disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified, and they looked at each other and asked, Who is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. And, and, and when we really look into that scripture, you know, Jesus, before before the boat, before they got in there, um, he had been teaching and ministering all day, right? Verse 35 says, in the evening, Jesus decided to leave the crowds of people by taking the boats to the other side of the Sea of Galilee during the trip. So Jesus falls asleep. And, and I want to really um, take a moment to bring the light and really uh, some confirmation that him falling asleep um, is is a great reminder that and something we mentioned in, in verse one, uh, I'm sorry, in, in week one, uh, where Jesus was not just 100 percent divine. He was 100 percent human as well. And literally in this moment, he was tired. Right. He had been preaching and ministering all day and his physical body, his the man human side of him became physically exhausted. And so now he is sleeping. And, and, and literally, he spent the day again pouring out to people, and, and he was so tired. Literally, he's sleeping through a storm, right? And, and so, I want to really unpack this storm a little bit because doing some research, you know, very interesting things about um, this area and the storms, but particularly in the Sea of Galilee, that even happens today. Um, and uh, one of the things that Mark describes in verse thirty-seven, he says, "A furious squall." And just picture this, the storm can literally be described in the following way. Based on the account of Luke's gospel, right? It says a fierce storm came down on the lake. The boat was filling with water and they were in real danger, right? The came down refers to the storm coming down um, from Mount um, Hermon into the Jordan Valley. And then it smote or strike with a firm blow the Sea of Galilee. Uh, and, and the Sea of Galilee, compared to the Mediterranean Sea, it sits actually 682 feet below sea level. So you picture this storm that, that really began in the mountains, and, and then it just kind of fell on the sea. Uh, and, and this hot air and the humidity and all of these things that, that come into play literally draws this storm and, and, it, and with such force that it continues uh, to rock the waves and do things. And even today... Um, there's actually footage you can go to YouTube and search like storms in the Sea of Galilee, and it will show you like the waves and the intensity of the that what happens in this region, right? And, and so when the storm is communicated to us, we, we're reading that it was so strong, it was breaking the boat, it was filling with water. Um, another thing that was very interesting is that he's with his disciples, and some of them uh, were fishermen, right? And so you know they would have been accustomed to rough waters, right? They would have been accustomed to some some waves and some rockiness. So that, that further tells me like this storm particularly even shook fishermen, experienced fishermen who were used to this thing. They were even shaken by this, right? And, and so they wake up Jesus to save them. And, and literally he gets up, he rebukes the wind and says to the waves, be still, quiet. Um, and the wind ceased at that moment and a great calm came over the water. And, and, and after Jesus's miracle, the disciples 
were overwhelmed with fear and literally began to talk amongst themselves and saying, who is this? Who, who is this man that even the waves obey him, the wind obeys him? And this, again, led, leads to the question that even we, we confirm, right? We've been asking, we've asked this question of who he is. They were asking the question. His closest people were even asking the question, right? And, and even though the disciples, you know, they had seen Jesus perform other miracles before this point, you know, they still didn't know exactly who he was, right? You know, did they believe him to be the Messiah, the anointed one? You know, maybe, um, but but they still just did not have the full capacity, the full conception in their minds of who he is um, as Messiah, as Jesus Christ. Um, and they thought again in terms of, of like a human deliverer is what they were seeing, like a Moses or a David, somebody physical that was there. But yet here come these miracles that Jesus really um, begins to perform. And it forces us just like it forces them to to really come to grips with the decision concerning who he was. Right. And we have to understand. And, and again, it's kind of a repetitive thing because that's how vital it is to get like he was not a mere man. He is also God. And, and Psalm uh, 107 verse 28, 29 says, then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble and he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. Notice the storm. Jesus asked the disciples during the, after the storm, he asked them why they were so afraid and without fear. And, and one thing we have to do, we have to remember that as followers of Jesus, our faith in God is not merely to trust him for our eternal, for our eternal destination, but we have to trust him in everyday life. And, and that's trusting him in the storms of life, right? And that trust can only be found in deeper relationship with Christ. You know, we can look back at this miracle and, and, and think when we encounter storms in our lives, like it may not be the sea. We not we may not be on a sea. We may not be on a boat, but those storms might be in relationships. They may be in jobs and other areas, but literally no matter what, we have to put our faith in Jesus. And we know um, that despite the storm, he loves and cares for us. And I'll even add this before we go on to point two, is that even though we put our faith in Jesus, it doesn't mean that he'll always calm the waters, right? He'll, he'll, he may, he may calm the waters that definitely can happen. We read that here, but he may ride the waves with us and calm our hearts and our minds in the midst of the storm and know that even if those waters continue, even if those waves, even if those struggles continue, you have a savior named Jesus Christ who is literally with you every wave of the way. Literally he's with you. Um, and that leads me to point two, right? His actions are over demons. And this one is, is very interesting to me. And, and just, again, it really starts to get into, um, some things, right. That we're, that, that really, even today we start to struggle with. Um, and really when we look at, um, this scripture and it's, and it's really found in Mark five, uh, chapters, uh, Mark chapter five, verse one through 20. And what we see is that, and this is literally right after they performed the miracle, uh, that he performs the miracle of calming the storm. Uh, they get to the other side of the sea, um, and Jesus is immediately met by a man possessed with many demons. Uh, and, and it says literally as soon as Jesus stepped off the boat, he encountered the man. And I want you to picture how 
Mark describes the man in the next few verses. He said he lives in the tombs or burial caves, right? So it seems to, um, that him and others considered him a lost cause. Like they, they just, you know, cast him out. He's, he's living in tombs, which is reserved for the dead, right? And, and due to this condition, he was also exiled from the city, which meant he had no human contact with anyone, including his friends or family. He was considered dangerous. Even uh, verse four says he was put in chains and and he was uh, shackles, and he would snap the chains and smash the uh, shackles. And there was nobody physically strong enough to subdue him. Right, and this man uh, literally lived in physical, mental, and emotional pain. Um, no one could no one could subdue him. Chains couldn't hold him. He was literally going through any and everything imaginable, the worst things you can go through. And Mark goes on to say that the man would cry out day and night. He would roam the tombs in the hills, and all he could do was shout and yell in pain. That's all he could do. And he would even cut himself uh, with stones, which would leave scars. Um, the man was, uh, we find out later, he, he's tormented by demons. Uh, and I want you to listen to verse 6, and it says, And when Jesus... And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And despite everything going on with this man, at the sight of Jesus, he ran to him and fell before him. Um, and really, at this moment, we, we read this dialogue with Jesus. And at first glance, it might seem like it's the man and Jesus having the conversation. Um, but if you really dig deeper in the text and read a little bit further, you found it's actually the demons um, who actually uh, is addressing Jesus in the text. And in the message translation, it reads this way. It says, when he saw Jesus a long way off, he ran and bowed in worship before him, then howled in protest what business do you have, Jesus, the son of the high God, messing with me? I swear to God, don't give me a hard time. Literally, the demons knew that Jesus was deity. They knew he was who he was, the most high. And, and that most high God was, was a title, um, and we still use it today, but it really uh, came from both Jews and Gentiles in ancient times um, to identify the one true and living God of Israel and distinguish him from all false idols or, or gods. And at this point, Jesus now commands the evil spirits to leave the man. And Jesus in verse 8, he says, for Jesus um, said to him, come out this man, you impure or unclean spirit. And we then see Jesus ask another question, which doesn't stem from a lack of knowledge, but it was to really bring out the situation. He says, he was a, he asked the demon, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And Jesus doesn't need the name of the demon to cast him out let's just be clear but understanding the extent of his of the man's affliction helps us further see just how deep this thing goes with this man and when i read um verse nine the what i picture is like this this kind of reverberating voices all in unison like hundreds of voices saying my name is legion for we are many and and i've mentioned it before on earlier episodes, but I'm big in Star Trek, and, and I remember the the Borg drones when they would state who they were. There was, I mean, it was thousands of drones all saying the same thing at once, and it just had this eerie feeling about it. And that's what I really feel like how that paints that picture there. And the name 
Legion actually in definition means a unit of three to 6,000 men in the ancient Roman army. Uh, another definition, which I feel fits contextually with this scripture, is a cast host, a multitude or number of people or things. And what we know if we take that context and we look at the afflictions, we know that the man was possessed by more than one demon. And so the demons beg Jesus to send them into a herd of pigs. He permits this and the pigs ran and they jump off in the ocean where they drowned. And the presence of pig, of the pigs is key because they're actually considered unclean to the Jewish people. And so that lets us know that this miracle is taking place in a Gentile region. And again, we have a moment where people have a choice. Do they acknowledge and believe or does fear and, and confusion set sets in? And what we see in verse 15 through 17, it says, And they came to Jesus, and they saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, sitting there clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs, and they began to beg Jesus to depart from the region. And one of the things that that I, I really um, took from this and, and studying is, as followers of Jesus, as people who have given our lives to Christ, we cannot be demon-possessed, right? We belong to God, and we're filled with the Holy Spirit. And if you, you go into the Bible and you, you do some research, and I found that all biblical accounts of demon-possessed people are unbelievers. So what does that mean, right? It, it definitely means that the devil will most certainly look to take us out by other means, right? We are now filled with the Holy Spirit. So that Satan, what he does is he'll attract us to sin. He'll afflict, afflict us with sickness, seduce us and convince us of lies. And, and, and one tactic of Satan, just like our friend in this scripture, is to isolate ourselves, choose self-destructive things that harm us and put us in a state of mental and emotional torment, all built on lies. We are, we are engaged in a real battle with Satan and, and the kingdom of darkness. That's a real thing, real deal, what we, what we fight against um, as believers. And, and yet Jesus has still triumphed over spiritual enemies, over um, the, the, the devil, and, and empowers his disciples to overcome evil. And that's the good news and really the driving point of this miracle. Jesus is our deliverer from demonic force and and. As children of God and followers of Jesus, we know three things. We know Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. He came to conquer Satan and evil. And through Jesus, we will overcome and conquer. And I want you to take this quote I found. And it says, simply put, you don't have to suffer from Satan's debilitating presence or yield to his temptations or experience the shame and paralyzing guilt that he tries to inflict. The consistent testimony of scripture is the victory of Christ over the demonic and the authority and power that is ours if we believe, if we take our stand in the name and authority of the risen Christ. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And one more thought on this, and then earlier we talked about it, and I mentioned it. Um, you know, we one of the things with this scripture is is Jesus, um, you know, really looked at this man um, with compassion, um, e even as a friend. And I want to never forget how he relates to this man. Everybody around him casted him away, 
locked him away, stayed away from him. But Jesus literally met him where he was, loved him, had compassion, and healed him from his affliction. And know that Jesus always reaches for people we deem unreachable. Uh, To embody who Jesus is is to know that his heart was open and is open for all people, no matter their condition, no matter their standing, no matter who they are. And that leads me to my last point uh, when it comes to miracles and action, and that's action over sickness. Uh, And in John chapter 9, we see Jesus and his disciples are traveling um, on the Sabbath, and they run into a blind man. And verse 1 tells us, um, and I'm coming from John chapter 9, it says, uh, verse 1, that the man had been blind since death. And this prompts his disciples uh, to ask a question. And they say, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? The disciples incorrectly assume that the man's disability is a result of some sin in his life or his parents. And, And Jesus explains that his suffering has happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. And it's important for us that we don't assume suffering is the sole result of personal sin, right? It's equally important to know um, that that doesn't negate the truth of of what sin is and that we live in a fallen world. Uh, But there are other examples uh, that show suffering is not always associated with a person's sin. Um, And so after Jesus clears that up on the origin of his sin, he heals the man. In verse 4 through 7 reads, We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seen. It was common for Jesus to heal people in different ways. When we read scripture, we see so many different ways that he healed uh, people, specifically when it came to healing the blind. You know, Mark 8, 22 through 26, he spit in the guy's eye. Uh, Matthew 20, 29 through 34, uh, he touched the eyes. Uh, Matthew 12, 22, he cast out a demon. Um, and, and in Matthew 15, 30 through 31, he didn't, there wasn't a way he communicated it. It just, it happened. They were in his presence and it happened. And and there's two keys to the passage uh, of this scripture. One, the work of Jesus is unique and and so diverse that as you dig into these miracles, you, you see that Jesus didn't limit himself to one or two ways of performing miracles. And really, if he had done that, he would have then been confined to a formulated way of healing uh, or casting out demons. And and secondly, we can't look to formulate or construct how he should do God's work, right? And really the healing act of restoring sight was specifically reserved for Jesus. Uh, Of all the miracles in the Old Testament, no record of the blind receiving sight exists. In fact, it was prophesied, uh, which is a statement regarding future events, that indeed the miracle of healing the blind and giving them sight was reserved for the coming Messiah. Uh, Isaiah 35, one through six says, be strong, do not fear, your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be open and the ears of the deaf unstopped 
Same book in Isaiah uh, chapter 42, verses 6 through 7 says, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you be, uh, will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. I want you to keep this in mind, which, which I think further illustrates who Jesus is, right? This man was born blind, right? He's getting something um, that he never had. He was born blind, so he's never had sight. And, and so Jesus is literally giving him an ability he's never had. And, and to me, that's a direct correlation, direct parallel to the role God wants to play in bringing us to salvation. He wants us to gain something we never had, which is everlasting life. We're born in the sin, but when we decide to follow Jesus, we are given that life. We are born again. We are made brand new. And this man was never able to see the light until Jesus stepped in. And really, when you think about church and society today, healing is such a taboo, controversial topic. It's like if we will read it and and see it in the Bible and, and say, yes, we wow, we see that that happened. But then we get to situations of today and, and you know, we see some people that are strong in that. And then we see other people that don't just they, they can't fathom it. Right. And looking at this, you know, Googling like miracles now. And, you know, you read a story like uh, 14-year-old John Smith who actually died for 45 minutes. He was he was dead after being underwater in, in a frozen lake for 15 minutes. And the doctor spent 30 minutes trying to revive him with no success. His mother, um, in that moment, went to God and petitioned in prayer. And, and shortly after her prayer, the doctor came and said, we have a pulse. And then later on, her son is walking and he has no sign of brain damage. And all the doctors can say is it's a miracle. Um, or, or another uh, person I, I read about, Annabelle Beam, she was diagnosed with a digestive disorder at a very young age and had her in and out of hospitals her whole childhood. Uh, later on in life, she, she, I guess, was climbing trees and she fell 30 feet uh, out of a tree and, and literally a fall that should have taken her life she had no injuries. And as she laid unconscious, she says she was in heaven with Jesus. And after that fall, after her um, that moment, the digestive disorder began to heal. And after some time after that, she went to the doctor and it was completely healed from the disorder. No disorder, no anything in her body. And literally her story is in a book called Miracles from Heaven. And I know what you might be thinking. You're trying to make sense of that. And that might not seem like it's possible, but when it comes to healing and the power of Jesus to heal, I'm going to be honest, we may never know the full extent of how. And honestly, I don't think it's for us to know. Our minds are either open to the miracles of Jesus or they're not. And as I close out this week, I want to encourage you to dig deeper into the miracles of Jesus this week. Don't don't just listen to what I'm saying and stay surface with his actions. Go read more. We only talked about three miracles. We're going to talk about four more next week. That's only seven. There's another 30 in the Bible and there's so much more that he's done. Literally, this is seven of 37 in the next two weeks. And the most important thing to me for this series is for you to have a firm answer to the question, who is this Jesus? Who is this man that lived to be 33, did ministry for three years, had compassion on Gentiles, healed the sick, raised the dead, loved through rebuke and correction? 
Who is this man that says, I am the way, the truth, and the light? Who is this Jesus who went to the cross on a hill and died for you and me before we knew ourselves, yet he knew us? Who is he that he was resurrected and ascended into heaven and now longs for relationship with us? I, I, I invite you to, to stay with me three more weeks in this series and let me help you solidify that answer to this question. You know, I mentioned every week in this series, I'm going to end with a prayer of salvation because I feel like that is each week we peel back a layer and you, I'm hoping you take something away that you didn't know about Jesus. And really this salvation, this decision is the most crucial step in this walk, but no, it's also the first step in the walk. He already knows who you are. He knows what you've done, what you will do, what you struggle with, but most of all, he knows what you're capable of with him. He knows in right relationship with him, your possibilities are endless. I love John 14 and 12. It says, truly, I tell you, the one who believes in me will do also the works that I do. And he will do even greater, even greater works than these because I'm going to the Father. And in the beginning of greater works, is saying, hi, my name is, please repeat after me. God, my name is, thank you for loving me enough to send your son, Jesus, to die for me. I know I'm not perfect. I know I've made mistakes, but I believe that your son loves me. I believe that you love me. I believe that Jesus is Lord. I believe he died. I believe he raised from the dead and is in heaven. I'm ready to get to know him. I'm ready to go deeper. Amen. If you pray that prayer, I'm telling you, best decision of your life. I'm telling you the journey you're about to take is just the beginning of you to crack open what God has for you. And it's going to change your life, I promise you. And it's not an easy journey, but it's not difficult. But I just want you to know if you commit to follow him a little more each day, it doesn't make you perfect. But what it does do is it begins this intentional day-by-day, step-by-step journey in right relationship. I want you to email us, email me, this is vantage point at gmail.com and let me know your decision. I want to help you walk. I want to help your journey. So again, stay with us in this series and beyond. I promise things are going to keep coming. That's going to continue to fill you up and get you in perspective through the vantage point of God. Come back next week. We're going to go into the second half of miracles in action. God bless you. We love you. See you next week on Vintage. Thank you.